Hey, I'm Eddie Burns, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest, as you just heard, is Eddie Burns, a Chicago-based producer and drummer who is currently out with the artist Claro. He's been killing it and traveling the world with her. Honestly, I could do an entire intro for Eddie right here, but he pretty much walks through his entire background at the very top of the show, so I'm just going to shut the hell up and get to it. But seriously, he's an incredible drummer with a vast knowledge of the music history of Chicago and Detroit and really just all over the place. He's an old soul. And at such a young age, which I believe is 24, he's just a treasure trove of knowledge. Anyways, we eventually get into the top five records that shaped him into the player he is today. And they're good ones with great reasons. I know I always say that, but it's almost always true. Actually, I'll just say it's always true. So anyways, thanks, Eddie. Cheers. about producing and whatnot can you talk about claro and you know the 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 chance the rapper manager and how that intro got you to work with her and then now you're you know producing some of her stuff so can you talk about that timeline and whatnot yeah so if you want to really go back to kind of where the career kind of started i've been playing since i was six years old Um, my father is a classical trumpet player so he like he was you know that's all he does so he like you know, went to Juilliard and like with Wynton Marsalis and stuff and was like in New York in the 80s and stuff like that. So he had a whole like touring career and stuff like that. And now is a an educator. And so some of the people that he taught were like Nico Segal was like Chance the Rapper's trumpet player, one of his producers. And like so he taught a bunch of young talent in Chicago that kind of put the hip hop and like kind of jazz soul fusion scene um but he he educated a bunch of those people so growing up like they were always you know a few people were always around the house just like taking lessons with him and stuff like that so when i was six i started playing you know in the jazz program at school i used to have to stand up to play and stuff like um, (laughs) which was cool and then um i remember the day it was like seventh grade i got benched on the basketball team and i was like this is the day i accept my fate not as an nba player (laughs) and as as a drummer i really you know loved music and um it was like cool like this you know i'm just not trying to put this much more work into it and i would just like really kind of fell in love with music and my brother i have a twin brother also and we Mm -hmm. like have made music together um and so he out of nowhere like found mf doom and all these like really cool hip-hop producers and rappers and like you know, underground situations. So he kind of put me on to them because he was a big internet guy and I wasn't on the internet much. I was just like, either just like playing drums in the music room at school or like outside playing basketball. I was a very analog guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so at that point, so let's, I guess, fast forward to like being 13. Um, there was this program called Merit Music School here in Chicago, which was like a free tuition 
after school jazz program uh, and classical program that was just like so instead of Saturdays like you go out with friends and stuff like that you go to jazz band you go to combo you go to latin jazz ensemble you go to jazz listening you go to theory uh and you just study on the weekends mm-hmm. and my dad taught there so and you had to be in high school so i remember i walked in and it was like the best jazz group i've ever heard in my entire life uh this guy david phelps d phelps is on drums and he's a really amazing producer now um so there's just like a lot of incredible musicians there and i was like holy heck like can i swear is that a thing we can do here? yes yes you okay. can okay holy shit <laughs> you know like <laughs> although i think holy heck is pretty cool too holy heck so <laughs> it was just like i've never heard that type of musical vocabulary because you know my my school and also i went to the same private school for 14 years mind you so it was a very like interesting atmosphere it was like very progressive in, in quotes very very progressive um but the you know the the music department had some cool teachers, but the, you know, it wasn't like anyone going to state jazz band or anything like that. It was very like progressive and like not pushy, which had its advantages and disadvantages, I feel. So started going to Mary Music School um, and Chicago is also probably the most segregated city in America. It's like it's insanely segregated. So like being from the North side of Chicago, predominantly, not predominantly, only white neighborhood pretty much and going to this private school in this neighborhood, like you're not around a lot of people who who aren't don't have the same background as you. It's like a pretty white situation. So Merritt was like, hey, everybody, like come do music here. And I met some of my best friends in the world and collaborators there who are from all around the city, South Side, West Side, you know, by Indiana, like, you know, super Northwest Side. So, you know, during our breaks, uh, we'd have a lunch break at the school. We would all jam. And then it was so, it was like, damn, this is like kind of dreamy. And then, you know, we kept in touch during high school, of course, because we were there every Saturday and then started a band. So started a band with my friend Copano and my friend Dante Milano, my friend Jonathan Miller, all incredible musicians. And we all like pushed each other to like listen and like put each each other on a different music, different jazz, different classical, different like soul. You know, I didn't grow up in a house like my parents weren't listening to Erica Badu and Jill Scott and like, you know, anybody like that. So like Copano really showed me a lot of those people. And like, and then uh, I found out about Jay Dilla through an older friend, no, no, through Dante as well. And so just like my mind was just constantly expanding. My vocabulary musically was expanding. And uh, those summers I did the Eastman jazz program in Rochester, New York and Birch Creek jazz program and i think door county wisconsin and this is just like being taught by like count basie drummers like just like heavy vocabulary and also like respect and class and care for the instrument and care for how you show up as a band leader how you show up as a listener as a creative so i feel like i learned a, a, to have like a lot of respect towards the instrument and music to like musical elders there like just a lot of respect priceless stuff dude that's huge it was it was nuts and you know i'd still practice a lot of like they taught me how to shed you know they taught me how to practice and how to make it kind of meditative and make it a little like spiritual in a sense of just like grounding yourself in rhythms and i feel like that's huge i feel like we always talk about you know just do this practice this do this but like the emotions and the like you know mentally and physically like how do you connect to the music how do you connect to other people how you connect to these rhythms 
many of which are from Africa, you know, that like my ancestors didn't play. And so it's about and having a respect towards the music in that sense too, of like, I want to, you know, I have things to say musically. I feel like I've always said about touring and collaborating. I think 30% is like, can you play well? And 70% is, do I want to be around you? Like what's oh, the yeah. vibe, you're, what's the vibe you're giving out? So I feel like I just really learned how to like not take up too much space, but to like still come as I am and to like, listen, just learn how to listen uh, actively. And so that's what I mean by like the empathy um, situation. So uh, going back, so we started that this band called KMU, K-M-U. And we, like every weekend we were just gigging everywhere we could. Just like all these different bands in Chicago, we would just get in a lineup every weekend and just like play shows. And then during the week we would shed and take lessons and go to merit. And then eventually I graduated high school and auditioned before that for Oberlin and Cal Arts and Manhattan School of Music and a few other places. And then Dante Milano, he was studying at um, Oberlin. And I was like, dang, I want to go there. Billy Hart is the professor there. I was like, I got to go study with Billy Hart. Like, you know, thankfully I, I got in. And then, you know, through various friends, um, I met this band called the Omis, who are from Chicago. A couple of them went to uh, my high school, that school I went to forever. And I always would see them as a young, as, literally as like, a, they're like eight years older than I am. So I would always, I'm 24. So like, yeah, 32, 33. So I'd always see them at like playing at assemblies when I was like in fifth, sixth grade. Um, and they were in high school. And this this included this uh, bassist and a huge music producer, Carter Lang, and my, my, my mentor, Lucius Bell, and the singer of the Oh My is Maceo Hames. So now Carter Lang is SZA's producer. He produces everything for her. He, yeah, he's like, he's out here doing his thing. And I really, you know, put so much credit in the hands of Lucius Bell. Like, so that was a teacher at, at Parker, the school, who's, you know, one of my dearest mentors. And he, he bought a gospel choir. He like had gospel choir at this white ass school <laughs> and it was amazing though because it brought like soul and it brought rhythm to this space where you know a lot of people wouldn't have it otherwise and he was just a very generous with his time and his knowledge so i would always see them in assemblies and the omis had a or the parker had a thing called parker palooza so mm -hmm. you know every you know how high school sometimes have like in the summers like bands can play things like that so the omis played parker palooza i don't know what year it was but they had this band called Kizzy's Days play there too. And that was a band that consisted of Nico Segal, who Don, aka Donnie Trumpet, formerly known as, Greg Sticks Landfair Jr., um, and Vic Mensa, and a few other people who like they were like the scene in Chicago. Yeah. They were like, they were like before Chance got on, like but he was still doing open mics, like they like blew up Macy Stewart, Liam Cunningham, and uh, Lane Backstrom. Like these are like they were a super group that like, they all went to merit too. That's the thing. So my dad taught Nico and he would be here, but then they'd have these huge, like incredible gigs. So they played at Parker Palooza because the Omis had them on that gig. And that was like Chicago history because then Chance came from that. And then the scene became social experiment. Then everything kind of came from that and different, you know, pockets of like indie rock and experimental music and all that. So I also say is that, 2013 or whatever year it was, 2012, 2013, they broke up and 
but I, I was at all like all their rehearsals. And so Sticks Lampair, who's Chance's drummer, started started teaching me. So he like he mentored me through that time and like taught me all these cool like gospel chops and like kind of like quote unquote hip hoppy funky pocket stuff that he had in his bag. And so now a lot of that is in my playing because of that. And before that, it wasn't. It was just like jazz or like you know certain African things because my dad always like played Fela around the house growing up. So I have a lot of like Tony Allen type inspiration, stuff like that. But so, yeah, I took lessons with Greg and like helped him set up his Ludwig drums all the time, like for like three or four years on all these gigs that he would do. And I'd be at the, all the rehearsals. Uh, what's it called? I go like, take lessons at their place called The Trap is what they called it. Then they released this record, Trap House Rock, changed my life. It was huge. They played Coachella. Holy heck, it's going crazy. Then they broke up. Everyone's like, no. Yeah. But then what came from that was Chance and all of those guys. A lot of those guys went and played in his band. And then that was this kind of newer era. So um, got into Oberlin, gigging a ton, producing a lot with different friends in Chicago that summer. Records that, you know, I helped produce are doing well. The gigs are are flowing. It's cool. It's cool. Then my friend introduced me to the Oh My's. So I'm like, these guys are freaking legends. I've seen them around forever. I've been really afraid to talk to them because they're like legends and like they inspired this whole thing. I'm like, whoa. And then the whole eyes are like, dude, like we want you to be our drummer. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I'm like, but I'm supposed to go to Oberlin in a week and a half. What do I do? This is like a dream. I've always wanted to be in the home eyes that influence so much of everything that I do now. Or do I go to Oberlin? <laughs> Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37210. Or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All the information I just said is at ForksDrumCloset.com. Last minute, like the day before, like a few days before I go, I'm like, I'm not going to go. <laughs> it was just like, damn, like, you know, Billy Hart's a legend, like all these people. This is an insane environment that everyone would, would dream to be in. What'd your parents say? Were they a big influence on that decision? They were not a big influence. They were not happy about it at first. <laughs> yeah. My dad, my, you know, my dad is coming from a Juilliard education. He's like, man, that foundation, like, just like, you're going to have to work really hard. And like, the, you're going to, like, the guidance that you need, like, you're going to have to take lessons, more lessons and like really study because like, there's a lot of foundations you won't get. And my mom was like, beside herself, <laughs> she's a huge in like education and like, you know, mm childhood development things like that in like you know we're it's a very like collegiate family i would say <laughs> they sound so, like good parents i mean like that's you know yeah i mean i get where they're coming from for sure yeah they're also just like you know we you did all these programs did all these things we took you to all these auditions and now you got in and i don't want to go <laughs> it's like damn but so i didn't go and good for you man yeah i followed my heart in that moment i that's what my heart told me and so the Omaz and I would gig some. We said the whole thing was like, oh, we thought we'd be on tour. We didn't end up going on tour. Um, but we worked on their album for three years, which was huge producer like collaboration 
um, uh, just that was school for sure. And that, I definitely learned by doing a lot. I also, my parents are really generous in being like, you can live here rent free. Like you don't have to get a job. Like wow. they support it. So that's like unbelievable. It was on, like, it's also a very privileged thing to even be able to do that. You know, my parents have that stability so I can just do whatever I want. You know, that's great, man. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I have to acknowledge that incredible privilege and, you know, that everyone deserves. Was there a time, cause obviously you said, you know, they implied you're going to go on tour. Maybe you thought you'd be a little more busy and active than you ended up being while working on that record. Was there moments when you were like, did I, did I, you know, three years in, I could have been done with college by now. And like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about that record is that they had already been on and off working on it for like a year and a half. So I kind of worked on it for two years. Um, but there were moments where I was like, I don't think I, I, the the thing that I really am grateful for is that I never looked back. I wasn't like, did I make the right or wrong decision? Because I made myself so busy. I immediately was like, I'm going to every single show that I know about and I'm going to meet everybody there. Like I'm going to go and I'm going to meet everyone and I'm going to just be myself and be kind and be gracious and ask if they want to collaborate. Because at that point, some of the music that I had worked on already had a little buzz. Like we were, we are so made this record with a friend in Chicago that was doing pretty well. And so we were gigging already. Like I stayed. So part of it was like, she introduced me to the Oh My's and also we were making music together. So sweet. And we were gigging. So like that was kind of having a little buzz at home on top of the Oh My stuff. So while the Oh My's weren't touring, I was just like, cool, I'm in the studio every other day this week. And when I'm not there, I'm making music with this friend and going to this show. And, you know, she just took me to all these shows. She really took me everywhere and introduced me to everyone. She was already like super huge in the community. Wow. It's nice to have someone like that. Really is. So, yeah. So I was just like busy. And through those times, I was just like, I'm going to be in every room. Like, I'm not necessarily like going to be in everyone's face, but like, if I feel a connection to the music and like, you know, I'm going to be like, hey, and I feel like some people already knew who I was because they had seen me around. Chicago is like a small, it's not a small city, but the music community, like everyone knows each other. So then I was just like branched out who I was making music with and who I was playing with live. I'd be like, Hey, like we would make a, we would make a record, you know, like I had a friend Tasha, we made a record or had, you know, a friend Omar Apollo who I met through Dante and Copano, you know, we would make a record and then I would arrange their live stuff and we would just play gigs. And so I was like, cool, we make this record, you know, and I was playing a lot of keys at that point and just like really working on beats and stuff. So, and I already had learned a lot of listening skills from all those jazz programs and things so that I would be like, okay, cool. Like, and I was taking lessons with lessons with Lucius who taught Carter and all them. So I was just like taking all these things and immediately applying them, like immediately, immediate application of like, cool, we're in a session working on this record. I don't know what the heck this chord is, but it sounds good. <laughs> so we're gonna put, you know, I'm gonna put it down and then the record's done. And then we play live. And so then that kind of just kept happening, kept happening. And the Oh My's had this management company, it still do, that um, started managing like other artists back then and like some, some well-known artists and indie artists. And um, I just like kept going to their events and just soon like they would hit me and be like, hey, like you want to have a session with so-and-so, like this person could be cool to have a session with you. You'd have sessions and they saw that. I was working on Omar Apollo stuff and I, you know, we already knew like I I was, I added some, something to the Omai's record that wasn't there before and like stuff like that. So then one day in maybe late 20, no, early 2018 or something, my friend um, 
who's one of Claire's managers, is like they just started managing her. They're like, hey, like, come to the session. Like, you know, you know about Claro? I was like, yeah, I, I do. Like, I just heard her in, the other day in like a Chipotle or whatever, you know, she's fire. Like, yeah, like come to the session at, at CRC. And I was like, okay, cool. So I walk in and they're like, oh, like if they, there's a track already there. I was like, cool. Like, there was just like no drums really. They're like, put down some drums. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like real drums or, or a program? Real drums. And then like, I have a little touch sometimes. Like I'm obsessed with Pharrell and like, Timbaland, so like a part of like the live stuff, I'll just like add claps and like weird like noise, like mouth, like like little beatboxy things, you know, shit like that. So put that down, and Claire and I clicked immediately. I was like, oh, I feel like I've known you my whole life. Like I feel like I could have went to school with you in a good way. Like, and you know, put drums on that. She's like, yeah, you know, looking for a drummer. I was like, I would love to, you know, like the oh my thing was going really great. But also, you know, we had just worked on the record and just figuring things out. And this was a big opportunity. And uh, also just to be around to experience touring with somebody my age, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was cool. And so they were like, find us a bassist. So I got my friend on it who's from here. And I met Haley, who's our MD and guitarist for Clara there, too. She was there. And that was the day we uh, that I worked on forever that like last year or two years ago went gold. That was the first day we met. So I was like, that's damn, amazing, that's cool. Man. So everyone's like, damn, like you made a gold record. I'm like, I did not make a gold record. I walked in and did a drum loop, <laughs> did a few beatboxing and claps, and then, you know, gave a few hugs and left. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, I don't want to be like, yeah, we like had this insane session. It was just a nice little vibe, you know? And from then we, 2018, went on tour. First tour was opening for Dua Lipa, like right when she started to blow up. So this was like, the cap of the rooms that we just played on our tour now. So this was like 5,000 cap rooms. And we were like, holy shit. Like, damn, first tour is this? Mm-hmm. And then the rest was just kind of history. Like the stuff that I've, you know, worked on with her so far, it's all like co-production stuff. It's not like I've executively produced a song. You know, I don't want to take that type of credit because, you know, she one is also an insane producer and like, r- like writes like everything, produces everything. And, you know, sometimes in collaboration with like Rostam or Jack Antonoff or whoever with whatever, but, but she's always been super like, you know, we've always been on the same page musically, like listen to the same thing. So on the bus, like we always, we love like one, we love Bossa Nova stuff. Like love it. Like, oh, like Jao Gilberto, Jobim, mm-hmm. you know, Luis Bonfa, like that type of stuff, like love that stuff. But then, you know, in the past few years, love like old soul and funk. So now I feel like we're really on a creative same page and like we've been working on some things and that feels good. But, you know, before the things I've worked on, it was just like, she was like, yeah, like, you know, Eddie's a fire producer. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet of her to say. She was like, yeah, come to the studio and I'll put down a drum here and there. Like I haven't done keys with her yet, but, you know, we're in the process of doing that. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say I've produced anything for her, but we've like collaborated. She's brought me in, which has been nice. But with the newer stuff, I'm excited because, you know, I'm a little more like involved and we're really on the same page and clicking. So that I feel is kind of a little bit of like a full circle situation. And also before that to say, like, I feel like with working with people, I've seen that it's so possible for people to succeed and it's hard because so many people make music and with social media it can be polarizing and paralyzing because 
everything you see is like, oh, so this person's successful. This person's doing well. This, this, this. And there's so many people who are so good who like haven't made it yet, you know. Um, but it's been cool to see that people have that success. Like, you know, Omar Apollo and I, like we're making music 2017, 18 released his record. And then like took, he took off. He, like he, you know, he, the sound made sense. He clicked, he found the right people. You know, it was taken care of. He was good. And like now he's doing his thing. Like even, you know, on a more like different, you know, more indie level, like my friend Tasha or like even, you know, like when I started working with Claire, like she was already like pretty well known, you know, I think Pretty Girl was out and a few things that like were hitting on the internet were out. But I've seen like friends and different people like really take off. And I've seen and imagined and written things down that were like, hey, in this amount of years, I want to do this. And I've said that in 2016, I've said that in 2017, without the fear of like, what if it doesn't happen, you know? And I also had that with little repercussion because of the privilege that I have of not having to like work three jobs for my parents, stuff like that. So it's easy for me to say, and I have to acknowledge, you know, that privilege, but also I've seen people who are also, you know, more difficult situations really do the, you know, capitalism's trash. But yep. I've seen people really, yeah, I've seen people really um, do the damn thing. And so that's just been a really cool and a motivating factor of like to trust my gut, to like really trust my gut and be intuitive and listen and listen. Like part of listening is listening to yourself in terms of empathy. I feel like, yeah, listening has been, been everything. Um, yeah. So that's kind of that. No, I love it. You got a little bit of history of... Uh... Chicago in there too. That was sick. Yes, uh, to kind of piggyback off that, this is kind of a little bit of an esoteric question, but imposter syndrome comes up a lot with when I'm talking with uh, people that listen to this show. And I'm curious, is that something that you've never dealt with? Because I mean, it seems like you can just work with people, you go introduce yourself, you have this, this confidence about your ability to collaborate. Do you have any sort of advice on how you dealt with that at the beginning? Or have you ever dealt with that? hell yeah i've had that you know um but i think i love it i think making music and producing is so fun as a so i would say maybe less so as a producer because it's more subjective as a drummer yeah i've you know i've been taking off gates before oh, <laughs> you know, right. as, as a younger person yeah and huh, not like many gigs, but some. Yeah, it's surprising because you know, you're an amazing drummer, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a younger, more inexperienced person, yeah. But I think it's, to, you know, if you just to be prepared is important. And whatever the situation is, I don't know if it's like a new gig or even if you're jamming with people who sound good, you know, it doesn't always have to be like, this is an opportunity. Like it could be like, even if you're like, this bassist is so fire or like this guitarist is crazy, like. But you'd be, you know, you'd be surprised what being yourself, where that can get you, you know, and just like having fun, especially in the, in the jazz world, imposter syndrome is huge because there's a lot of weird dynamics, I feel. Mm. A lot of like, you know, I go to a jam and be uh, trading fours and then, you know, they, they'll do a thing where like you get up, you, you do your four, sax does four, you get up, other drummer does it. And there were definite, definitely times where like... <laughs> You know, I do my four, get off, and then this one cat would get up and look at me and be like, hey, Eddie, and then play what I played, but like crazier. And then I'd be like, so I just got burned. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, my last fucking name, he just last named me. 
you know, <laughs> he's just last name me. And I'm like, damn, like, but at the same time, it's like, I'm never going to be him. Mm. That's the thing is I will not be him. I won't be Chris Dave and I won't be Elvin Jones and I won't be Vernell Fournier and I won't be Ben and I won't be anyone else. I just won't be that. I, I, it's not possible. So yeah, there's sometimes like you can be objective with drummers and be like, you know, objectively, I'd rather this person's a better band leader. This person has a more solid pocket. This person's time is better. This person has is more expressive. This person has just better, you know, foundation and better fundamental playing and more dynamic. Like whatever it is, Ringo Starr and Thomas Pridgen are just as valid as each other. Mm-hmm. And you show up, if Ringo Starr shows up to a fucking jam and no one knows who he is and he gets on after Thomas Pridgen, motherfuckers are going to be yawning, you know? But yeah. like, so that's music. That's what I was, I come, it comes down to like, it's music, Tony Williams solo, that being as, that to me is as impactful as Questlove on Voodoo just playing, like technically, yeah, like it's like kind of hard to do, but it's feel. And it's like, that's what, that's what I always come, it comes down to for me. It was like, I've been like chopped out as a drummer. I've been like, you know, aired out. I've been, you know, vibed, but just remember that, you know, Ringo and Tony Williams and all these guys all do the same, play the same instrument. Yeah. It's, it's the same instrument and they're just as valid as each other. Some of my favorite drummers are not drummers, mm-hmm. you know, like don't really do this shit. Like can't, do a great solo, but the feeling is everything. Yep. It's just, to me, it's just the feeling. And what are you prioritizing? Are you pri- like, and you just can't compare yourself to anyone. That's what it is. You just can't, you can't, I mean, you can, if you want, if it like fuels you, but it's just, it's just, I don't like TDS. I, you know, I went to the doctor the other day. He said, you man, you got TDS, toxic tremor syndrome. You don't, you don't want to have TDS. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad diagnosis, man. No, I'm sorry. No t- <laughs> I, I have a bad case. So yeah, just, you know, <laughs> Be be you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's hop into your, your uh, top five. Are these in any particular order or is it just... Okay, cool. So knowing that, number one is uh, the album's Voodoo. Speaking of Voodoo, the yes. release year is 2000. The artist is D'Angelo. Song choice is The Root. And the drummer is Questlove. So let's talk about it a little bit first and then we'll listen to a minute of it. But go ahead. Why'd this make the list? Oh... <laughs> I remember the first time I heard this album and not all of nothing, you know, some of the songs like, you know, Dilla did, I think Dilla, Dilla did one or, you know, DJ Premier did one, but whew, just first of all, the tone of all these drums, I wouldn't ever ask for another drum tone ever. This is it for me. This is like, this is it. D'Angelo also is the goat. He's just, like these songs. I just like, if I was on a deserted island and I could take one with me, I'm taking this. I'm just taking it. I remember, I remember the first time I heard it. I remember the first time I heard D'Angelo. I was in my school's auditorium and um, my friend September played uh, Brown Sugar. And I was like, the hell is this? And they're like, oh, you don't know about D'Angelo? I was like, what? I was, and I was a, I was a, uh, <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school. And my heart was just, broken into my first love my heart was just broken <laughs> and, and i found i found this i found voodoo and it's the definition of 
imperfect perfection to me. And, uh, you know, uh, for all those who hadn't seen Questlove's uh, like Red Bull talk on YouTube. Dude, like I've watched that so many times. <laughs> like, it always pops up. It's so it's like two hours long, but it's worth it. Worth it. Oh, it is worth it, man. That guy who, who hosts them, he couldn't be more monotone. I'm like, bro, you you have Questlove <laughs> playing what D'Angelo told the town to play because of Dilla. And you're like, that's nice. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. bro. No, I'm just I'm I'm just messing. With you, I know what you mean. The hosts aren't necessarily the most charismatic, but they do. They are good. They point the the people in the right direction. Yeah. Um. But yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like it's like, but it is like a nice style. It's like wearing a nice beige or like a nice gray outfit. It's like they're just like blending in. Yeah. Like a like a canvas. So I like that. But in general, so it's just perfect imperfection. And from just being really really obsessed with Dilla. Yeah, it's just to hear a human do it in a way that's just like, oh, and Pino Palladino, mm. like, come on, dude. And Roy Hargrove, just all those Soulquarian electric lady sessions. And I've had the privilege and honor and absolute dream of like being in that studio a few times in the past couple of months. And wow. just even being in there, you feel it. It's like, what? And we were in, you know, just, I stood in the room few months ago which is where they like recorded most of it and i was like just feeling that it's just like it's the most deep it's just the deepest stuff i, I don't know how else to explain it but it's just per it's perfect imperfection and the touch is perfect and nobody could recreate that nobody uh, i think i don't even know if quest of being in the studio right now could completely recreate that moment and so that's yeah that's just everything to me I'll drop that Red Bull uh, interview in the show notes because it is it is interesting to see Questlove talks about how nervous he was to play like that. Um, and he didn't want to at first. And, and obviously the genius that was that whole crew helped him convince him to do it. And now it's it's one of the most iconic feels of all time. So it's it's really interesting. To me, it's important to note that before they recorded that, outside of the context of Dilla, no live drummer did that like that didn't exist it did not exist like it now like you you know it's in everything that mm -hmm. feel that dilla feel that you know quest of situation it's in everything which is beautiful yeah the, the influence is you know bar none but before that recording it did not exist and that's just like what and the fact that like he was uncomfortable and then it, he sounds like that i'm like come on <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm comfortable with my ass, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So number two, and this was cool. So this this album was J. Rod Sullivan. Uh, it wasn't this song, but this this record was one of his top fives a few weeks ago. So the album is Black Radio. The release year is 2012. The artist is Robert Glasper. Song choice is uh, your song choice is Afro Blue, and the drummer is is Chris Daddy Dave. So uh, you've also referenced him earlier in this chat of someone yeah. you will not be, um, but not in the way that is in a derogatory way. Just Chris is his own unique thing. He's um, just him. Yeah, yeah, man. So what? Yeah. How, why'd this make the list? Uh, besides the obvious that Chris is just amazing. Oh, man. Same thing. It's just so it was so uh, monumental for me. Uh, this was 2012. So this is like you know, peak of my development and getting into this field. So around the time when I found Voodoo as well, and like just hearing, starting to hear more drummers outside of Jay Dilla as a drummer doing the field in a way that nobody else could do the way they do it. Mm -hmm. Also as, you know, a producer, like hearing those tones of like the tight snare, hearing, you know, a tambourine on the hi-hat, never heard that. Hearing those certain tom fills, God, like hearing those breaks how when you listen to dilla like he does a lot of breaks and hits on two stuff like that just all of those things i was like what how is this live i didn't I, but you know 2012 i couldn't comprehend how somebody like could do this with their body you know and so that was everything i was just like damn and the song is just woo. and then getting into glassware and getting into piano i was like damn like this is like and I love jazz, but I was like, this is everything that I've wanted music to be. Mm -hmm. Just hearing the that mix. And I know, you know, at this point, it's like, yeah, of course, like, we all know, yeah, jazz is in a backbeat. Like, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> we've heard it many times. But, yeah. you know, when it's when it's 2012 and you're like that age, it's really huge because you never heard it before. I hadn't heard it before. So he's him. He is just him. never heard a a kick pattern like this like the snare isn't on two and four every time it is there that Woo. i'm like what <laughs> you can't do that he's so melodic like he's so like expressive Yeah, that was that was amazing. I don't know. It just hits like a loop does. It hits like a nasty produced drum loop, but it's just perfect. It's just perfect. Yeah, it's just perfect to me. <laughs> Man, all right, number three. Uh, the album's Alone Together. 
The release year was 2012. And I want to make sure I pronounce this this guy's name right. Uh, is it Kareem Riggins? Yeah. All right. So an artist is Kareem Riggins. Song choice is Jay Dilla, the greatest. And the drummer <laughs> is Kareem Riggins. So Do you yeah. know about him? No, I don't. Oh, my. He is the GOAT. So he's from Detroit and was one of Jay Dilla's best friends. Mm. And self-taught jazz drummer, played with Ray Brown trio, Mulgrew Miller, um, Roy Hargrove in the 90s, like heavy swing, like straight swing cat. Like he's a fucking cat. Like he is so swinging. And to like play with those late legends um, right before both their transition, like as a young person, like iconic recordings, incredible. And I found him because I was looking at uh, Jay Dilla, The Shining, that record, and he finished, like when, I guess I, I'm pretty sure it's correct, when Jay Dilla passed, he finished the record, Kareem Riggins. Mm. And I got into him because there was this common song with Bilal called Play Your Cards Right. He produced that. I just like went big into his producer credit, 72, is it 72 hours? This one Kanye song that he released off of Pablo, he Kareem produced mm. um body moving on that on the shiny by Dilla. That's him playing drums. So I was like, who the hell is this guy? And so then I did more research into him and played with all these jazz greats. Jay, one of Jay Dilla's best friends, helped him finish a bunch of records. And it's like to me, like one of the closest embodiments of it. So he was in, I forgot what that band was called, but he was like playing a lot with Glasper and um Derek Hodge recently they had a tiny desk in the White House that was him on drums. Oh, um, wow. He's like magically in all these little places. Like he played congas that on some tonight show with Common in the 90s or whatever and um so he was really heavy and and oh fall in love your funeral that that Erica Badu song sampling intimate friends by Eddie Kendricks he produced that. So all these random things I'm like what the heck who is this guy? And so then he releases this record and um Oh, just how he this isn't this this song isn't even honestly the song I probably should have chose off the album because there's some like really wild situations where he like layers drumming with like really wild mode synthesizers and samples and like how he makes it all human. It's just so it's just legendary. Nothing sounds like it. And it's super like Detroity. It's like it's super dilly. So this record's wild. some stealth chops in there my god that was some, some elvin that's some elvin jones shit totally
bro. Yeah, so short had, song, In and Out. Very short, but it's like, you know, again, it's like an amalgamation of his influences and a lot of my influences with like the Elvin licks and how, you know, his drum tone at the beginning too, like super old jazz type type beat. <laughs> and like, just, yeah, over that, I'm like, what the hell? Like, you know, super cool. And he has a bunch of YouTube videos. There's one where it's in the Stone's Throw Records, like storage place or whatever. It's J-Rock, legendary DJ, you know, friend of Dilla's and him. And he's playing along to like Dilla Loops on drum set. Mm. So I, I can send you that because that'll be great to share because that's just like. Yeah, please do. He's just, yeah, his time is just nuts. All right, moving on. Uh, number four album is Steamin'. Release here is 1959, going quite a ways back. Artist is Miles <laughs> Davis. Song choice is Surrey with the Fridge on Top. And the drummer <laughs> is Philly Joe Jones. So, yes. yeah. Why'd this make the list? Oh, yeah. I, Philly Joe Jones as like a jazz drummer is one of the first I've, I ever fell in love with his playing. Well, this record, first of all, I just... I'm like kind of a sucker for like old, old, um, like, you know, my, first of all, Miles is one of my favorites of all time and just the sweetness. And it's also, you know, it's like, we were talking about drummer itis earlier, just like, you know, Freddie Hubbard, Lee Morgan, Clifford Brown, all these cats, like chop wise, trumpet wise. I'm a big trumpet guy. My dad, and my brother, played trumpet. Mm-hmm. all these guys, like in terms of like bebop stuff could blow his ass out of the water. Like, you know, ultimately, but in terms of the feel that he has, Miles as a trumpet player, just like the, it just tugs at you. That Harmon mute and his lyricism and his choices and the and the, the the perfect imperfection again. It's mm-hmm. like it's just it's so human. Um, that's why I love Ringo too, like that type of thing. So this album, um, you know, there's like steaming, cooking, work, working. Now, there's a few like a collection of them from '59 that this Miles Davis trio did. I think it's Paul Chambers, Red Garland, Philly Joe Jones, uh, Miles, and Coltrane, I believe. Um, just the sweetness of it is so the music is so sweet. Um, but the power of the quarter note, the power, the power of the ride symbol beat, it's just like it moves you, and like again. You know, you hear a lot of times I'll be in a lobby somewhere and they'll be playing these types of standards or these these tunes and how simple that Philly Joe Jones is playing on these records, but how much it is dancing and moving that again, that coordinate that the power of that mm. is everything. And that's what I learned um, at that Birch Creek program, all a bunch of these legends taught me of like, cause I was going da, 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 da. And like, that shit was not swinging <laughs> because, <laughs> because the swing is actually in the feel of the, of the quarter note. It's, it's like the, so just how, how, how much these records can move with ease because of just the power of that. So Philly Joe Jones just, and in his comping, his left hand, just like, it's just, it's perfect to me. And, um, and how he interacts with, you know, with Red Garland on piano and just is so dynamic. It's so light. It's so, and, you know, it's, it's so tasteful. Um, and to be able to swing like that, it's not easy. And you could be like, oh, I can play that shit. And you sit down and play along and you're like, oh, like this is a, this is a strong quarter note. This is like heavy. It's, it's heavy to me. That's why I love it. Cause it's so sweet, but it's heavy uh, in a sense of like, damn, like it's uh I don't know. He's playing with just such, such uh, decisiveness, but like 
with the feeling that's like it's like romantic decisiveness i don't know how to describe it but it's like i think that's great romantic you know I mean? decisiveness like within his playing so it's just like sweetly heavy mm -hmm. and that's what i like about it all right here we go My God. So like, so that left hand it was just like, because if if he Philly had done anything more than what he was doing, it would have been too much. Mm -hmm. It would have been too. And I I I I often like, wow, like when I'm playing, um, you know, on in jazz situations, like I'll just sit in every once in a while. I want to do it much more. It's just like, I start to play all like the Elvin licks I know. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, I think about Philly, and I'm like. The new it's perfect like if he was doing anything more i would have been like yeah it sounds like yeah but it's just so like the touch it's such a nice touch so i really like that all right number four number five the album is fancy dancer release years 1975 <laughs> the artist is bobby humphrey song choice is una esta and the drummer is harvey mason i actually just picked up for my last tour, I wanted to have length, but also have a little bit of a softer feel. And so I picked up the Harvey Mason uh, Vic Firth sticks and they feel amazing Ooh. if anyone's ever, ever played with them. But yeah, why'd this song make the list? Oh my gosh. Just funky. I don't know. It's so sampleable too as a producer. It's just like, you know, I've heard, heard her, I've heard her sampled so much. Um, I think she's from Chicago also but just this record is just like whoo i kind of it kind of speaks for itself it's so colorful and, and amazing and was one of the first records you know i got put on to in terms of my journey into being obsessed and falling in love with the 70s and more like um you know like funk drumming with like you know kind of i wouldn't know if this i don't know if i would call it complete funk but you know what i mean it's just like kind of that 70s vibe so yeah yeah it just put me it put me right there and also just how the vocals are stacked and the textures the tapiness and the ver the reverbs and yeah just that drum sound that tapey sound sounds so good and it's just so solid and it's it's hitting it's hitting
man harvey's clean Such a hooky drum part. This is sick. So hooky. Yeah. Those hats sound so good too. They have that perfect, like, whatever, however they EQ'd it, or maybe just the set, the, the player, everything, it just sounds so good. It's not abrasive. It's, it's right perfect. There. And the snare is so dry. I love how dry that snare is. So Bobby Humphrey, uh, you said it was a she. Was she the band leader? Is she a vocalist? Because I don't hear any vocals on her right now. What was her role in this? She, I'm pretty sure she arranged everything and played flute. I know she played flute. Flute, okay. And it's just a vibe. I'm like, damn, this, you just made some stuff like this. Like, I, and and, and door, towards the end, there's uno esta. And that's all that comes in. Uno esta. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. And I'm like, hell yeah, what? You just you just decided to make this? Like, that's, that's fire. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's sick, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. Harvey's Harvey's the man too. Oof. Well, this is the part of the show where do some plugs for your own stuff. Um, if people want to collab with you, um, whether in person or you know via the interwebs or go see Claro. I mean, what's what's a way people can find more out or find out more about you? Um, follow me on Instagram at Eddie E D D I E S T X uh, Eddie Sticks. Um, hence the instrument of the drums <laughs> and um you know uh, i have some music out on streaming under eddie burns but on my spotify there's like a produced um playlist that it's everything i've produced oh hell yeah uh, and i'll kind of be in the studio a lot coming up so i don't know if you want to like collab or stuff just hit me up I'll, I'll be in europe in the fall with claro um other than that i'll be a, a studio body and i'm trying to put together some shows in chicago but really just i guess follow me on instagram for 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 updates because it's a lot of a lot of albums and records that worked on coming soon so um and i'm definitely trying to post more drum situations so yeah. hell yeah dude yeah well eddie uh thanks for taking the time on a tuesday i believe it is of course and it was a pleasure to finally meet you Thanks for doing this, man. You have, oh, man. You have great taste in music, um, and it was really fun to go through the history of Chicago at the beginning. So, so uh, thanks for all that, man. Oh man, well, thank you for having me. It's you know, uh, uh, I really love this. I've never done anything like this before, and, and you know, love Big Fast Snare Drum, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Keep in touch. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews. Do that. 
It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!